Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hello, friends. We are back in my office today uh, with intern. Hello, intern. Hi. Who are we waiting to have come over? Uh, Meryl. Do you know what Meryl's last name is? I actually don't. Do you know the official title you're supposed to give to him? Reverend Dr. Father Meryl. Usually just Reverend works, but you can call him whatever you want. Uh, Reverend Meryl. 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 Reverend Meryl. Yeah. I I lost my passy at home, and so I'm very sad about that. Uh, Meryl's coming over. We're about to record a podcast. Uh, We've never actually done like a just me and Meryl straight Mm -hmm. podcast. We've done like other stuff that have been... Oh, there he is. Okay. Come on in, Meryl. We're doing the ad roll for the podcast right now. Uh, You know what the uh, sponsor for this month is? Intern? I don't. It is the E3 conference. Uh E3 is about equipping, encouraging, and empowering churches and families to have better conversations about faith and sexuality. This year's theme is building community. How can we help our churches be more inclusive, embracing our LGBTQ siblings? The theme speaker is Justin Lee. Have you ever heard of Justin Lee? Never. He wrote a book called Torn, founder of the Gay Christian Network. We're going to be doing a live podcast, me and Justin. There'll be plenty of other great speakers there. And if you want to attend, there's a link in the notes. But the event is October 4th through 7th in Dallas, Texas at the Highland Oaks Church. You know the preacher at the Highland Oaks Church is? No. Patrick Hunter Bills. Patrick Hunter Bills. That sounds like a pretty cool name. It's a pretty sweet name. So you can go here, Patrick Hunter Bills, myself, plenty others at the conference October 4th through 7th in Dallas. Now, Meryl, come on over. Let's do this thing. Give your voice a little bit if you want. I will. I will. All right, Meryl. Welcome back. Thanks for being in the office today. Happy to be here, Luke. Making the uh, long trip over. How was traffic today? Well, I crossed. I actually drove over here. You really? Which is embarrassing because mm-hmm. it's only a two-minute walk. But I drove over here because I'm going to leave here in my car. And I don't want to be sweating. By the okay, time you I... took off the collar, too. Yes. Is that like, hey, I'm coming over to one of you low churches and I want to be on your level? No, I think you guys are intimidated when I wear the coll- the Episcopal clergy collar because mm-hmm. there's a, a recognition that something's kind of missing. Yes. Yeah, I feel like you're kind of intimidated by the V-neck. And that's why you're trying to look like the V-neck is you're kind of opening up a little bit. Trying to get a little collarbone action going. That may be. What would it take to get you to get a V-neck, a black V with a collar that would kind of go down with the V? Do you think that would be allowed? I actually sleep in a shirt like you're wearing right now. No. Nightly, except it's blue Hmm. or maybe white. Those are for Do you not know the color of it? They're not for working. Do you know? Do you not know what color it is, or yeah. oh, it just changed? You have different ones. Yes, I have a couple different ones. And, okay. Uh, no, I, I think that suits you. Fine. I think there's a biblical precedent for God working in sleep. For example, Acts ten, the sheet coming down with all the animals. Absolutely. And, and so that's why I wear a shirt like this. Acts oh, 10. so you sleep while you work? That's in actually, some ways, I know. I try that to stay be very work. mystical. If you I, can actually do that, <laughs> if you can actually like do daytime daydreaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, lucid dreaming as you're mm-hmm. working to where you're uh, living in both a kind of a kingdom sphere and mm-hmm. in this mortal coil that think, we live on. That'd be awesome. I think so. I recently had a uh, not a daydream, but a, a, a nightmare that happened. You want to know what it was? What was that? I had a nightmare that one of my favorite people in the world was at your church preaching and no one told me about it. Oh, Becca Stevens was at yeah, our church. She was at like literally... I could throw a rock if I got a running start mm-hmm. at your church, 
and I didn't know that she was there. Well, I have apologized profusely to you. I know, podcast host, and we're now you're dredging up. I'm just saying it. You brought up nightmares, and that was the first thing that came okay. to mind. Well, Becca's a. It was a incredibly. Uh, Did she ask powerful about me? sermon? Uh, I didn't talk to her privately at all. But she. But could you sense that she was thinking? I wonder if my friend no, Luke is. Good. No, no, no. No, I think what I sensed was that she was in a very formal church setting, mm-hmm. a commencement of an Episcopal seminary, and my sense was that Becca, barefooted in preaching, was asking us to care about justice, justice that, of I mean, people who suffer. I mean, that makes sense. That's where she was, and we listened. It was a powerful moment for everybody. When did you have Barbara Brown Taylor over? Same, the same, same service, the same seminary commencement, I think about Ten years ago, maybe hmm. something like that. Okay, if she ever came over, BBT, mm-hmm. and you didn't tell me, I don't like one hurt with Becca. Yeah. I think I can get over, but two with that, I I might key your car. Okay, well that's no good. Would that be okay? Would you for, for you to key my car? No, it would not be okay. I'm just trying. That's the only way I can feel like I can process it. Well, that is really a problem for you. But I feel that's like... That's how you react to disappointment. That's not... Is that bad? I don't think, I, that's, think I don't think that's a mature response to disappointment, is to key your friend's car. Okay. However, if we have anybody that I think you, would be of interest to you over at St. Matthew's Episcopal Church, I will certainly invite you over. You'd, but you did recently, when Andy and, was in town... Andy Doyle, yeah, Bishop, yeah, Bishop Doyle, yeah. So you, I mean, you, I mean, you've done that in the past. You've taken care of me. Yeah. I said, hey, you need to get to know someone. Yes, I feel like you've been on the podcast. Well, Andy and I sat in here. One you were day. that, yeah. and then um, we. I posted uh, the sermon we did together yes. as a podcast. Yes, and wasn't there something else? But I, no, no, you you posted our conversation. At Westover mm-hmm. in July of 2017, when our church was shut down for some repairs, that's right. And we came over, and you and I did a. Uh, just, that was a good. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. I think we should do it again. Well, yeah, it was a. Uh, how would you call it? Dialogue sermon, in a sense. We were just talking yeah. back and forth to one another, and and uh, it was at the Sunday services at Westover, and our people loved it. Yeah. Loved it and have felt a kinship ever since. Well, uh, I loved I was over there preaching for the, is it St. Matthew's Day? What is it? Yes. Well, it was, it was our patron feast, mm-hmm. St. Matthew's, and we held it on a Thursday night, mm-hmm. which was unusual for us. But uh, you guys came over on Moss. It was fantastic. And you loved preached it. a sermon, and you sounded and looked like a good Episcopalian. What about me looked most Episcopalian? Well, you were vested, and you, look, you didn't. It didn't seem so out of culture to you that you mm-hmm. were looking uncomfortable or strange or something. And it was a good, straightforward homily. You understood the setting. It was tough for me. I know. Because I, I didn't have a TV no on the TV, stage. Like, how no, do I preach without that? No smoke and mirrors. <laughs> uh, uh, but the point being, the point being mm-hmm. is that uh, what we both discovered in that is that Episcopalians and Church of Christ uh, parishioners can enjoy each other, talk to each we other. We can be friends. Share friendship, absolutely. And yeah. I, it means a lot to me. I think it means a lot, not only to our church, but I know it means a lot to me. So, Well, you and I went on a retreat. We went on that a was good. silent two-day, yeah. uh, two-night 
two full days uh, retreat. And uh, my question to you is going on a retreat and staying silent all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you and I are both Enneagram sevens, right? Yeah. And, you know, mystical or contemplative forms of prayer could be a real problem. Uh, I've gone on 20-something retreats in the last 10, 12 years, so I've got a little bit of a habit built up. My question, what was it like for you? Well, when you first said, let's go on a retreat, I was like, oh, that's exciting. Me and Mary will get to you know, hang out. And then you said, you have to be silent the whole day, which I felt like that was your way of saying, you can come here, but I don't really want to talk to you a whole lot. And I thought it was a little bit personal. And then I realized, no, this is like just a spiritual practice. It's not like you don't want to hear me talking. No, we Which, talked our we at, talked a at lot night, at, at night. night. Yeah, but during yeah, the but day. no. The whole idea is the whole idea is is that we don't know how mm-hmm. really in the context of our normal work day to take breaks that where we actually stop and process and feel and think. Yeah. And so when you take an entire day dedicated from when you wake up in the morning, you know, in the prayer Episcopal prayer book, the first prayer for the daily morning prayer is, Lord, open our lips that our, our mouth shall proclaim your praise from the Psalms. And so the idea is that the longer you wait to open your lips and you stay in a meditative frame, the more joyous and actually authentic it feels to say that prayer. If you just wake up in the morning and actually open the book the second you're coming to and say those words, that's kind of neat too. Yeah. But the longer you hold off, to, to say those words in silence. It just takes on a, a kind of a, a fresh meaning. So it was important to me to, to have you uh, there, there with me up there at Cedar Break. It's a Catholic renewal center uh, up in Belton, Texas, about an hour north of Austin. Beautiful Belton. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I loved it. I yeah. really enjoy it. And I, I don't know when it started, but I, the, the less talking that occurs the more I find spiritual activities renewing. Yes. And I think it, part of it is that we just talk so much. Every, everyone talks so much, but especially us with our, our vocation is our words. Mm-hmm. And to get away from that, that's ultimately where I find the most connection to the transcendent. And I, it, was a, it, was a great, it was a great opportunity for us to do that. And I look forward to us doing that again right, me too. soon. I, being able to walk around. I mean, Belton actually was, uh, and it's a, it's a nice retreat center. It's, it's a very it's nice pretty. retreat center. And to... We had times together where we would just sit for 45 minutes mm-hmm. to an hour or something like that yeah. in, uh, in silence. And then throughout the day, I took a handful of walks, did some reading. Mm-hmm. I found it to be outstanding. And yeah. I, I feel like the more that I'm... Like, it's almost like the psalm says, be still, know that I am God for a reason. Mm-hmm. That ultimately, if we're not still, rarely do we know God. And we wonder why we don't know God when we never make time to be still. And so practices that let us do that are outstanding. Yeah. And then you bring up like the, the Enneagram 7 stuff about feelings. And uh, we've talked a little bit. I was on uh, Ian Cron's podcast, and Ian's a four. And all his questions were like hardcore, like, I'm an Enneagram 4, let's talk about feelings. And I would much prefer silence than to deal with those questions all the time. I understand. <laughs> I understand fully. Uh, I think when somebody just says to me, you know, Meryl, how do you feel about that? Uh, I know what I think about it. I know what I like to say about things. But the actual 
to to find the appropriate sense of what that feeling is mm-hmm. and to stay in that present moment and feel that feeling in a conversation with somebody, especially a conversation with somebody that's, that's being, in a sense, televised, right? Yeah. Uh, would put would be on the spot in a way that I'm not sure I'd feel comfortable, and I, I probably would be manufacturing answers. Yeah. You know, just by just to answer, just to give an answer to because you, wanna, you well, don't want to because they're asking me a serious question. It may be hard for me to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I know that I postpone feeling feelings, feeling sad, postpone um, just in the moment if I'm not comfortable with actually how I feel, I'll get loud or try mm-hmm. to be funny or try to change the subject or something like that. I know that that goes on all the time. Yeah, we just naturally do that. Uh, so today's Thursday, and I just got out of my Thursday lunch group, mm-hmm. um, my focus group, dare I call it. And in there, uh, intern Nathan's in the room here. Do you remember what someone said to me about not feeling stuff? Mm-hmm. What did he say? Uh, he said, you have no passion, no emotion. <laughs> Which I thought, that is such a sweet compliment to give me. Thank you. Like, that's really nice of you to say that. But I don't know if it was intended to be a compliment. I feel like that's a good thing, though. Well, <laughs> I don't think that's a good thing. I mean, being being serious for the sake of anybody that's listening to this. But I, I think the uh, the idea that you don't have passion is nonsensical. Well, I mean, that's just not me being your friend. Uh, the the work schedule and the... the and, Intentionality that you bring to your work and the excellence in your work is because you're passionate. Oh, I think the struggle, the struggle is the, and, and this is what I think the Enneagram folks are trying to tell us the struggle is in the sadness or feelings that are, that are uncomfortable and that we feel this kind of sense of, of being washed over by something that we don't know what it is and how, or how to handle it for some any reason, yep. whatever it is. And so that idea of reframing and finding something to laugh about or finding something to to feel better about, uh, I, I'm not going to defend that. I mean, yeah. I think that is something that's really true about me. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely the invitation for me to grow is to, mm-hmm. to be aware of that. And I do know that the silence and the retreats and all that really matter. Yep. Uh, I come back from a retreat and I'm a little bit more honest with my feelings. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things that I know that you're deeply passionate about is uh, is music. Yeah. And you have a, um, a soul series. The getting? Soul of a Musician series. The Soul of a Musician series, which yeah. I've come to a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on Sunday nights, and you like you get quality musicians in there. Yeah. And so th- that's kind of like your side project that you've been uh-huh. doing for how many years? This is the sixth year. Sixth Luke. year. We started in uh, the spring of 2013. Okay, so let's jump back, though. But you had another life mm-hmm. that is, there's an homage to that as your Instagram. Is it Instagram name or your... Well, it, yeah, it is Twitter it's what, Twitter account Duke Music Scout. Yeah, Duke Music Scout is uh, is a kind of a tongue in cheek mm-hmm. thing, but it started uh, back in the late two thousands. I had not been listening to indie 
popular music for years and years. It was always in the background. Mm -hmm. And it didn't mean I didn't like a little music every now and then, but I just wouldn't buy it, wouldn't pay attention. I didn't. Like no music or just not that kind of music? Not that kind of music. And I actually, all I ever did was I attended church and sang the church's music, and and every now and then I'd put my old Beatle records on and stuff like that. I just was disconnected. And I had a friend... uh, in a, in a former parish back in Mississippi who kept trying to get me to listen to all the bands that he liked, the current bands that he mm-hmm. liked. And he he called me one day. It was during South by Southwest in Austin, which those that was just XXSW, which meant nothing to me mm-hmm. when I'd see it in the papers and stuff like that. Yeah, He said, well, uh, my morning jacket's going to be at South by Southwest tonight, and they're going to be on the radio. It's going to be on NPR you can turn it on and listen. I know you won't go. And I said, Tommy, all right, I will. I will listen. And I turned it on that night. Uh, my wife and my two children were in Birmingham visiting her mother. And I turned it on, turned it way up. I laid on the sofa. And it ended up being a band from Hoboken, New Jersey called Yola Tango before my morning jacket came on. So Yola Tango comes on with this big sort of uproarious Garage rock lick, and I'm laying on the sofa listening to that, and I, I felt like I was honestly felt like I was levitating. Luke, I started kind of going, "Oh my goodness!" And I, I sat up, and it was this word: "Look what you've been missing. Listen to what you've been missing." Like, wake we need up, a word like. It was like, like a, a word, divine word from God. Uh, I don't know if it was the Lord, mm-hmm. but it's but the direction of it and the authenticity of that word, that internal sense, yeah. was that Merrill, listen to this music, not just Yola Tango and My Morning Jacket, but listen to the music your son listens to, your daughter listens to. Are you thinking Quit like shutting it out? So it's like wake up. There's great music for you. And so, so, like, hey, this is a good thing. Like, hey, I, let me tell you a story about myself. I didn't eat guacamole until I was like 25. And I was like, hey, you're missing out on something. Or there's a great TV show. Is it, is it like that level of, hey, there's something good out here that you're missing out on? Or is there much, something... it, it's more spiritual, more deep. Spiritual. Oh, absolutely. This, this uh, again, I'm not saying that Jesus said, listen to rock music. Mm-hmm. Although, I think Jesus would have listened to rock music. Mm-hmm. But I think it was more like, it was more like, you have shut yourself off from uh, fantastic musical creativity in, in yourself hmm. and in and in the 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 pop rock realm. Listen, okay. listen, and see what happens. So you have your road to M- Damascus experience. I, I had my, you're my called to rock music while you're a priest. Oh yeah, yeah. And so you start listening to music. So I started What's listening next? to music. I went to a Wilco concert. Mm-hmm. Because I found out that one of the lead players, one of the guitar players at Wilco, I was a, his father was a friend of mine in Mississippi. <laughs> so I mean, stuff that I just didn't pay attention to. So what I'm trying to say. So I went to the show and I met Pat Sansone of Wilco, and we had a good conversation. And I ran into a friend of mine who happens to have a sports talk radio show here in Austin, Aaron Hogan on FM 104.9, The Horn. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know Aaron well, but I'd called in for years on Friday mornings as Duke, 
instead of saying mm-hmm. Merrill, I was Duke. I was just Duke is easier to remember. You called in Friday, Friday mornings, talk. and I made predictions on games. And I had one year. Were you like the gambling expert or something? Well, I pretended like that. <laughs> I wasn't the gambling. Oh, I'd say Duke's one hundred gold star lock this week goes <laughs> is well. I had a run of incredibly lucky guesses that came. I predicted, for example, I predicted that that uh, Oklahoma, which was a 21-point favorite, I predicted that Kansas State would beat them in the Big 12 championship game. And I said to the co-host, Bucky Godbolt, I said, in fact, Bucky, K-State's going to win it going away. He goes, Duke, if K-State wins that game, I'll eat my hat. Well, they not only beat them, they pounded Oklahoma. Kansas State did. Mm -hmm. And so that was sort of a legendary moment when Duke picked that game. So when I saw Aaron Hogan at the Wilco, (laughs) when I saw Aaron Hogan at the Wilco show, he he says, Duke, I didn't know you like music. I said, you know, I'm just kind of getting back into it. Within, Within a year, I was so engaged in the music scene Aaron Hogan and I created a, a Friday morning music segment where Duke would set up an artist to, to be interviewed, or I would do a scout, se- I mean, a little bit of a scout session saying, mm-hmm. here are the people coming to, to Austin this weekend that you might ought to think about going and hearing their live music. In other words, I not only got, got interested myself, but the next thing I'm... Duke Music Scout, a quasi-expert, which was nonsensical. I was not an expert, but I was interested, Mm -hmm. and I could do the radio. And so we just, next thing I know, I spent 18 months interviewing bands on on the radio. And so that's the kind of thing when I say there was something more than me just having a wake-up call about the music I'm missing. I began to realize I really had interest in the music in the music and the musicians themselves as human beings. So is this you see this as I'm a priest, I'm to love and pastor this this parish. Yep. And then I've got a side gig where I do music and that's just kind of another separate part of my life or do you I, see I don't this see as, I see it as integrated. I, I also very much because I think as as a um, representative of the Episcopal Church and of St. Matthew's uh, when I am out in the community making friends with the creative actors in our community, mm-hmm. the people that are uh, not only stimulating our economy, but are also uh, helping people be inspired, helping people grieve, mm-hmm. I think music plays an important role, especially for people like us as sevens who have a hard time, Enneagram sevens, who have a hard time uh, maybe expressing our feelings, and we need a music to do that. A music to help us with that, anyway. Uh, and so, I I felt like it wasn't just a side gig. Mm-hmm. I felt like for me, uh, I was advancing the um, the place of the Episcopal Church in the local music community. Yeah, so you're out there it doing... It was fun, too. Now, don't mis- mistake that. It was fun. But I kind of come to the I've come to the belief that uh, in the kind of work we do, Luke, you need to have ways that are really, really fun in communities that are not necessarily the one that pays you, mm-hmm. uh, where you, you're not denying your ministry. You're not... You're not in some way like doing it on the sly, mm-hmm. but you're out there representing, but at the same time, 
it's a it's a completely different setting and the thing i loved about these musicians is that they were ostensibly secular okay in their music they weren't singing writing poetry about god per se they were not advancing the the cause of the gospel you know, in some intentional sense but what i found out over and over again is in in the music in the poetry in the way the song is actually crafted and shaped the sounds of the notes the the power of a solo voice the power of harmony mm-hmm. that in that what is gifted in all of that process is people become not just sort of more raw about their emotions but they actually at times the music helps solve problems or deepen faith yeah. even if it's not really about Jesus per se but there's a sudden recognition that this song describes the kingdom of God with the same sort of uh, authenticity as a parable of Jesus does. Yeah. So it it's, can be parabolic in a way. It, so there always has been this like sacred-secular divide that the church has, I would say, created. created. And part of the reason is like there's music that you want it to be, quote-unquote, safe for the whole family, yes. and so the language and the yeah. content. Yeah, I get that. Uh, but I think there's a bigger thing of music that music taps into something that is transcendent. And yep. I think the arts have always been the signposts that say what you see here, this material world is not all there is. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense that people, thousands of people would flock to hear, you know, a couple of people pluck a string. Like it's not just about strings being plucked yeah. and, and, yeah. and a beat being made. There's something that happens mm-hmm. in that. And like in, in our world, we talk about, you know, worship leaders. And we don't want to call them musicians, but we want to call them worship leaders. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that kind of devalues the spirituality that's that's in all music. And I, like, I think there's something explicit about saying the name of Jesus as, that does something. I, yes. I think it's Brueggemann who talks about, you got to use a language, right? Like, yep. it's a, use the language. And there's something to that. But to say that there isn't like a, a signpost or an entry level into the transcendent when the music doesn't say the specific name of God, I think misses the 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 bigness of what music is yeah. and i like your your idea about like their music musicians can be guides uh where some of us like especially sevens and i think i said uh this on the suzanne podcast that music is like this these guides that take me to places where i don't always necessarily mm-hmm. feel comfortable to go mm-hmm. and i i like the pop music that makes me feel happy but i like the the more folksy stuff that's to say there's something else that's going on inside of you that you want to push away, but we're not going to let you push it away. Yeah. And I'm going to name it in me, and then maybe if you sing along, you're going to name it in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that secular, sacred divide is illusionary. Mm-hmm. It's an illusion. And uh, I do agree with Brueggemann, and I do agree with the traditional church that says, when we gather as the body of Christ in, in worship, that we are there to explicitly... Uh, hear, pray, obey Jesus, and to sing God's praise. And I think the, the what the music of the singer-songwriters of Austin that have become my friends, what they, what I see and hear, especially as we talk about their lyrics in the Soul Musician series, it's a part of the show. Mm-hmm. What I see and hear is that it's like again I, what I said earlier. It's like Jesus saying the kingdom of God is like such and such. And then he describes a vineyard or he describes a seed or whatever it is. 
he is pointing to, mm-hmm. right? Well, music, you can call it secular, but much music points us in the, t- towards the kingdom. Yeah. It does. It I, does. It, the values of the kingdom or the heart, the giving of the heart in the kingdom and, and the exchange of affection that takes place in the kingdom, the loving God, loving neighbor as self, all that kingdom work that we think of that constitutes the beauty and the, and the attraction of entering the kingdom that is mm-hmm. as, as mystical and vague as that can be. Sometimes the songs that Aaron Ivey writes or Kevin mm-hmm. Russell writes or some of the other friends in, in, that in the, or in the cohort of, of Soul Series musicians mm-hmm. uh, is as powerfully a, 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 an opening to the kingdom as, as anything else is in, yeah. that we think of in the church. That is what I think is important and is often missed, often missed by people that think there has to be a division with the secular and secular. Even the most sort of uh, caustic emo or other forms of, of, uh, of music that is really, really hard to, to hear. Mm-hmm. A lot of that, Though it is not conventional, and I agree with you, it's not family-friendly, a lot of it is, is code language for protest. Yeah. It is making a protest about an oppressed state mm-hmm. in a community. So all of it has its place, yeah. not all of it's for church. Of course, of course. I've, uh, I've heard some preachers make the argument that the only kind of preaching that anyone should ever do is expository, verse-by-verse preaching. I was literally driving, where was I recently? And I saw a church that had a sign that said, we preach the Bible verse-by-verse, which is a really cool idea. And I think it's a great suggestion for everyone, except there's like one minor problem, and that's Jesus never did that. Like, which might say something about how preaching is supposed to be done. But we like the verse by verse, and let me explain this, and let me deconstruct everything so that it's just very clear and black and white. And in the artistry of Jesus, it's like you said, the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. It's, like this, um, it's like this mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like this treasure that's buried in a field in which a man saw it and then went home and sold everything he had to buy that field. The kingdom of heaven is like this, this woman who you know lost everything, and then she found her, found her coin. She had 10 coins, but she finds one, and now she celebrates. So I, I think the artistry of Jesus is always pulling us away from the reductionistic, yes. simplistic lines of in and out, right and wrong, church music, secular music. Jesus doesn't like, it's, it's bigger than that. Mm. Okay, side tangent. Aaron Ivey, mm-hmm. musician? Yeah. Like the guy from Austin Stone, or is there no. two Aaron Ivies? Female. In Austin? Oh, she Aaron Ivey. E-R-I-N-I-V. Okay, so I saw... Um, Last one I was there is the guy who's telling ghost stories. Uh, Reed Turner. Reed. Yeah. Great musician. Yeah. Really special. The Christmas show you had, you uh-huh. had a couple different people through there. Oh, it had several musicians. Who was the, the headliner? The Robert Harrison. Of, what's uh, the band? Cotton Mather. Yeah, Cotton Mather. The old preacher, Cotton Mather, is the, is the name of his band. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are musicians you've gotten to know. I've heard them say beautiful things about you and how much they, they yeah, value your role in the community. But I know that you, um, the guy from Cotton Mathers, doesn't he, isn't he coming and playing at yeah. your church at a big event? He'll be playing again on July the 8th for mm-hmm. us uh, on Sunday morning at St. Matthew's. He played uh, back at 
during Holy Week, mm-hmm. we had a Stations of the Cross service, and he strummed and sang as we walked around the campus, uh, walking the Stations of the Cross. Uh, he's played the Soul Series three or four times. He's played in church, and he attends St. Matthew's from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these folks have uh, I've had I've touched their lives in different ways. I've uh, had some fun stuff. For example, Reed Umstad, who was on The Voice lately, and he made a run to about the third, maybe third or like fourth level of The Voice and mm-hmm. didn't make it to the finals, but he, I did his wedding a few no, years did you? back. Yeah, he was in a, 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 little, a little band that were really good. Boy, they were good. Uh, that band broke up, but uh, he played the Soul Series a couple times. Yeah. With, yeah, so so. In some ways, you've become, I don't say you're the official chaplain of these guys, but you, you play a role. I'm assuming I have played a role in numerous ways, mm-hmm. uh, in, in other okay. than leading the series. So and, you played a role in their life. What do you think the role they could play in the life of the church? Not like, hey, come here and you play acoustic guitar during service, but what is their art? What is their the role their art can do? I, I think they. I think the the musical community in Austin, and again, it, there, there is dis, there is you know dis, distinct as individuals as any group of. Yeah. Pastors or anybody else's, but basically, I think the uh, the quality of poetry and the the depth of understanding, the, the of pathos, mm-hmm. of love found and lost, of the the comp, the complexity of relationships yeah. between people or families, what. The a hangover after an awful fight can feel like for mm-hmm. a family. What uh, I mean, all the sorts of death and dying, yeah. joy and celebration. I think they can paint the pictures poetically, and then they find the music that helps it come alive. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things the church desperately needs is a fresh voice. And that voice needs to be poetic and not just didactic or academic or reductive or in some way a moralistic voice, but a more open and spirited understanding of the world, less uh, divisive, more integrative, Mm -hmm. trying to find ways for people, especially in this red state, blue state. Um, setting that we're in now to find ways for people to love and care for each other. So music, now, hmm. music I, can help with that. I mean, it can divide too, but... Oh, I, no, I'm about to say that. I mean, music can yeah. also can be the, the way you divide people. But in in an era in which everything is 30-second clips of me versus you, mm-hmm. you versus me, mm-hmm. and we're going to split screen, and we're going to get one Republican, run Democrat to get up there and yell at each other, music might be the thing that like kind of transcends that. And we can go, hey, this is all good music, and we... Uh, but yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, Music that and can... contemplative practice, Luke. I mean, just the idea that everything is not a challenge to see who can beat each other down with uh, sort of winning debate points that are dismissive of the other. Yeah. I mean, I think music and poetry is a example of a more fulfilled human who is taking the time to see the rhythms of life. Mm. You're listening for the rhythms, and you're noticing how, how the beauty of nature can, can also match that inner sense of God's majesty that we feel at times. 
and it can also match the affection we have for our loved ones. Mm-hmm. And all of this can be one thing. And so this is why I think it's important to listen to the to the mystics, the writers, the the Mertons and the Richard Rohrs and the Richard Fosters and all these people that can write very thoughtful, creative discipline of faith, of, of prayer and practice. Yeah. And we don't have a ton of mystics who can always do that. No. And can like you were talking about earlier, of being able to express the incongruity of, of joy and suffering, of mm-hmm. relationships that don't work, of, of life doesn't go the way you want, and having to, to walk into that. And I find myself in lament services, it, you know, and our hymnody, I mean, we have some of the same songs across the street, mm-hmm. but uh, some's different. Uh, it, I find especially uh, bankrupt when it comes to having enough songs for lament. And for Ash Wednesday, which you came for first part of that, mm-hmm. uh, when we put together a low church version of Ash Wednesday, we end up having to lean on some music that has nothing to do with the typical hymnody of churches. Yeah. Because I was trying to find something that just sat in the life is short, uh, life you're you're a mist from dust you came to dust you shall return, and. I, I wasn't finding a ton that really gave me what I felt like we needed in that moment. And so we're looking at, I don't know if we did a Johnny Cash song here, but we did some Mumford and Son, and we did oh, some nice. other people who were who were able to express maybe things that we can't always do very yeah. well in church. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's I think you're going to see the line between what we think of as church music and excellent folk pop country type music that has that is singable mm-hmm. and has a strong enough allusion to the divine even again even if it's not christian mm-hmm. i think the kind of music that moves hearts uh if you're in if you're deliberately in a gathering mm-hmm. of where jesus is assumed and prayed to be at the center of that gathering uh i don't I mean, I think at that point in time, I mean, there are occasions where we could sing anything we wanted that actually I got you. Sp- spoke to what the kingdom is about, right? Yeah. That's the point. I mean, I think Jesus' point is that the kingdom of God is like a whole bunch of metaphors mm-hmm. that allow us to see beyond the black and white, either or way that we think and yep. that we're taught to think in order to make space for God. That's what it's about. How do we learn to make space for God? And so for me, uh, the Soul Musician series gives me a chance to, to allow Austin's authors, uh, um, artists, musicians, to be themselves and to talk about their music and to really feel the affection of the show's host, that's me, and to feel this sense that the, this gathering, and it's maybe any given Sunday night, I'd say maybe a quarter to a third of it, maybe church people. The rest of it is fans of that artist or people who just like going to the Soul Series. This is, this is in a sense, a church experience for a lot of people hmm. because it is so, it's wholesome. Yeah. I mean, it's good stuff. It is. Yep. But I think the music is, is, is crucial for us to figure out as church leaders and to be I'm kind of coming to a place where uh, what feels like is, is a kind of a permissiveness about music is actually a fresh understanding of music. Yeah, yeah, I like the fresh understanding where each thing has its place. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying this as someone who 
I listen to more Christian music now than probably any other time in my adult lifetime. And but I think that has a place. Yep. This has a place, and they're not in competition. But you, we can value what each one brings yeah. to the table. Yeah. So okay, summer or soul of musician series. Soul of a musician. We've had 172 shows. Wow. In in five and a half years, that's 11 seasons of music. And so I've that's got exciting. a bunch of. I've got the very very generous supporters of the Soul Series. We have we're fully funded for for me to book the fall shows and. Actually, today I sent out some booking requests. We'll see how they go. I'm always wanting to get artists that have never played, mm-hmm. and then I want artists to return that really want to be back. What if there's someone who's never played and he just plays the keys, or just like a just he's just starting? Like how how would one go about like getting an invitation? Well, I would, um, my question would be, for example, let's say that person is like 18 or 19, or let's say he's like 36, or like 36, and he's just starting to like play keyboard. Uh-huh. Uh is does he wear black Vena t shirts? Maybe. Maybe. That's probably not a, a, a venue for him, the Soul Series. Well, that's not really nice. Okay. Well, fun. I'll if, I mean if that's someone I'm that's good for them to know, I'm sure. Although I think that person mm-hmm. could do, could come and do a song. Okay. As a self intro, and then run the show. <laughs> okay, I think that's then introduce the, the if that real, person was interested. Introduce I think. the real musician. At that <laughs> <part>. <laughs> yeah. uh, Meryl, this has been good. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, thank you. I think we should do uh, we should do another one of these at some point. Yeah, I, I think there's always a lot of actual, um, not just us material, but material that has to do with the changes that we're seeing in the church. Yeah, all the time i mean if you think about if you think about change i've been a priest for 28 years right and all the funerals i did the first five years were burying people with cask in caskets in cemeteries okay and i don't think i've done more than a half dozen casket funerals since and so when when it goes from burial with a casket to cremation everything changes when it started, we would have a burial, and four days later, and we'd have a death, and four days later, you'd bury that person. Now, funerals might take weeks to plan and all that sort of thing. So interesting changes of culture is what I think is interesting, because we have fewer and fewer people that are actually feeling like they're not right unless they go to church, yeah. right? Yeah. And... The practices even within the church are changing a lot. And that's an interesting topic for me. That's something I would talk about. Okay. Well, I think next time we should... Tons of stuff to talk about. We should do that. I think actually the next time you're going to be on, though, is in August. Yes, because uh, your friend, and I've been soon to be my friend, Jonathan Merritt, who is a writer for the Religion News Service, is going to be at St. Matthew's. Mm -hmm. We're hosting him. He's got a new book, Speaking God from Scratch, Learning to Speak God from Scratch, which I've read. Uh, It's it's a take on his life. He talks about spiritual growth for himself Mm -hmm. through many uh, different vantage points of his life. And then he takes some of the words that are traditionally used in Christianity that have been discredited or Mm -hmm. people are nervous about using and he remaps and reformulates the meaning of the words, and it's really good stuff. It's a super good book. So uh, I knew you were having him in. 
And so I just invited myself over and I said, hey, well, let me turn this into a podcast. Sure. And I think it's appropriate because I think you're, <laughs> no, really. I mean, one of the, obviously we're friends and we want to do that. No, I think the podcast format in our sanctuary yeah. with, a, 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 with a, a group of people, hopefully there'll be media and some others that can pick up on his book. They'll learn about your pod, this podcast. Mm-hmm. They'll know a little something about St. Matthew's and me. So having that is really kind of good for, for everybody. If we, It's only good if the podcast product is good, right? <laughs> and if his book is good, and you're good at podcasting, and Jonathan's book is good. So we're, we're serving Should the we public. Go? And so that's August 26th. It's a Sunday night at 630 at St. Matthew's. It's the day after my birthday. 8134 Mesa. In Austin, Tech, Northwest Austin, Texas. Wait a minute, is it Jonathan the- Merritt, Religious News Service? He also writes for the Atlantic Magazine. That sounds like the radio voice. Just That's came the radio out. voice. This is Duke Music Scout FM one hundred four point nine, the Horn. Did you and, have a sign off that you like? Your uh, not really, but I did like to talk in that voice every now and then. I mean, it made me feel like special. That's a good. That's a good voice. Well, good for you. Let me hear your radio voice. I don't. I don't have a radio voice. This is it. I don't. I don't. Well, the radio voice means you got to. Use your mouth a little bit more. Yeah, my mouth. I your know, mouth just does what it does. I have, like, like I've been told, I have no passion. So this is just, <laughs> it's just this, nonplus the whole time. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Um, well. What do you we, got coming up? I've got summer break coming up. Oh, great. I've got uh, July. I'm going to take some time, a uh, little vacation, and then I'm going to be doing a little writing, getting fall prep worked on. I'm, Fall sermon series, and I'm actually taking a little break from the podcast in the month of July. Okay, and so I've got one more that'll come out after this, and then um, and then a wrap up, and then I'll have a few weeks off, and then I'll come back with. I got some, including the merit podcast, handful in August. I'm already booked and pretty excited for. So let me ask you this: so your book is coming out October the second. Ooh, yes, right, yes, and uh, and I mentioned to you before that I want you to come over to St. Matthew's and talk to us about the book because we're going to, our theme for the fall is spiritual growth. And I mm-hmm. think Jonathan Merritt's book will be a help with that. Mm-hmm. Having read yours, I think it'll be a help with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of the book itself, uh, I, how do you feel about that at this stage? I mean, uh, does it still feel like a baby that hadn't been born? Or? Yeah, I, well, I was actually yesterday... Um, I'm doing. Uh, I'm speaking in uh, Oklahoma next week somewhere, and uh, I was actually going to steal a bit from the book for that talk. And I, I was telling the intern, I was like, "Like it, it feels like I'm like revisiting an old friend because it's been like it's been done for a while, and haven't seen it, haven't looked at it, and I, I'm really excited about. Like I'm proud of the work that I did. I I really put my heart and soul into this. I feel like this you know tells my story." And it tells a story that I, I hope connects with a lot of people, and I hope it helps people see a way to have faith when when faith doesn't seem like it's working for you. And I, in some ways, I'm excited for it to come out and to kind of bring it back to life because it's been just kind of dormant for months. And it's weird to think that this thing that I've worked on for so long is finally going to be in the public consumption and people are going to hope hopefully read it. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, here's what I would say. I mean, what attracted me to your book is that uh, it's it's certainly autobiographical, but it's also there's a, a thoughtful use of of storytelling over and over again, 
and the points you make with telling these stories, these narrative events in your life or, or things you've witnessed or others have told you about. You tell the story, and then in a, in a fairly impressive and pithy way, there will be a paragraph that follows that connects that story to the prior story or to the little bit of the theme hmm. of, the, of the chapter. And those connection uh, statements, those theological statements, sometimes go, go pretty darn deep, or they get, you use some highly academic, excellent words that people can remember. That has, so you're kind of giving everybody uh, something to chew on. I mean, as a, as a person who's seminary educated, and I tend to think academically about things, the book kept my interest. Because you just you weren't it wasn't so academic that it was something that I was working on. Mm-hmm. It was personal, and I caught the the person of Luke and and all these people in it. But the statements, the summary statements, mm-hmm. the not just the chapter endings, but the actual way you would connect the stories and the subtitles and that sort of thing, I thought were really illuminating. And so I mm-hmm. think your readers, once they'll open it up. Uh, will we'll catch on pretty quickly that you read this story, and each story has its own value, and, and some will connect and some won't, right? Mm-hmm. But, the, but the, they can wait on that punchline or punch paragraph at the mm-hmm. end that actually does, is actually excellent work, and, and it's got some devotional quality and some serious theology. Now, that's well, good stuff. I really appreciate you saying that. That's, um well, that's why I that's want you to come kind. over and talk about it. <laughs> if I didn't like it, I just wouldn't invite you over. I, would, I wouldn't say anything un, uncharitable about it, just but I, invite me over. I just wouldn't invite you over with it. No, it's going to be a support to our team over at the church. It's going to uh, help well, us. I'm, I'm humbled, and I, and I love the idea you know, of our church being connected. I think that's, I think that's what church should be doing. So I, anyway, thank you for saying that about the book. I, You're welcome. I hope others say nice things, too. You know, I, I I just I can't imagine the the feeling of of actually you know had your book selected to be published mm-hmm. and then just you finish it up and then you just have to wait yeah. and to see so it it'll be a test for you as an Enneagram seven to, to see wait. well not only that but will you feel hmm. who knows how well that book's going to sell I know right it's a first book. Yeah. Right. And so you really have to try to have reasonable expectations. Which is funny because the book is about. That's what the book's about. Expectations. So my friend Annie Downs had a devotional book that she put out six months ago, and it just went over 100,000 copies sold. Oh, wow. And she's like, Luke, remember, this is not my first book. Don't look at these numbers. I'm like, okay, don't don't compare myself to that because that's not a. Good thing. My daughter, Adeline, uh, keeps rubbing it in that she's written five books, and I haven't <laughs> written enough yet. And so she'll just draw a book and put it out. Like, Where's your book, Dad? I actually have one right here. So she, she's rubbed it in my face. But it's, um, yeah, it's weird to think that it's going to be out there. And I haven't, for some reason, which is a, as a seven, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I haven't jumped ahead and thought, well, this is what it's going to do, and this is how it's going to be received. I honestly haven't thought about that. And I don't know if this was just a grace of God that I, I really just love the process of writing. And the fact that someone wanted to to publish it was just yeah. kind of a cherry on top. And it helped make sense of things for me, and I hope it does the same for others. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just grateful that I got to do it. 
Yeah, well, I think it's great that you got to do it. And I think if you also think about the way your podcast has become mainstreamed, in a sense that not only is it recognized on iTunes as a as a popular by numbers of users or hits or whatever it is, what are you downloads? Downloads. Sure, I'm sorry. Um, so if you think about that, that that in and of itself is an affirmation that the podcast works. But the thing about the podcast is that you're constantly meeting people and mm-hmm. constantly having to prepare by reading some of their book, yeah. getting aware, kind of getting acquainted with them through the book, talk about their book. Think how lively that work is. I mean, that involves a, a fairly constant engagement with new material. Yeah. And that is really, for me, what I am proud of you for and envious of because that that's that's good stuff i mean that's you're talking to some fantastic thinkers who who have thought you know like take i mean take a richard Rohr, a brueggemann or somebody mm-hmm. walter brueggemann you know these these folks have have found a way to tidy up their lives to the extent that where they can they can make space to go and think mm-hmm to go and think and gather their thoughts and write and communicate those thoughts. And uh, that's hard work. Yeah. And, and you found out that you could write a book in the midst of all this stuff. Hmm. I'm, just, I'm, I'm impressed. I just wow. want you to know that that matters. Um, but I think that sort of explains the, the reason why I laughed when somebody says you don't have passion. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I, I think, obviously, I'm very grateful for the conversations I get to have. I, I'm aware that this is a grace I get to do that. But I see it kind of all, like, it all funnels together. Mm-hmm. Like, this is that prep of, you know, I have to read a few books to make the podcast work. And, like, even, like, just two nights ago, I uh, was trying to figure out something about this thing about fear. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did a podcast in 2014 about this, and I'd jumped over to my notes, had four quotes, put the page number on them, and I was like, oh, copy and paste right that, and then it'll be in a sermon. And so it becomes like this this well of content that I can yep. draw upon. And so in some ways, like the, the podcast is research, the sermon is like my daily work, and then like a comedian, like they're doing their bits every every night, they're going to comedy clubs and doing the work, and then every year or every two years they do a special, which is kind of like the culmination of all the work that they've been doing. In some ways, like the book is kind of like the culmination makes great sense. of the work that I've been doing, yeah. and it pulls it all together, and hopefully. Yeah, it, it makes great sense, but here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. So you, you are interviewing a lot of writers mm-hmm. and people who have made a living communicating, you know, public communication. Yeah. And, and you're doing it. In, in my own little way, after all these Soul Series shows, I've ended up writing music. And we sing some of the music that oh, I've that's written right. yeah, at yeah, church. Yeah. And we, we had a big Easter vigil downtown, and, and I sang some music with, with Kevin Russell, the front man of Shiny Ribs. And he, he and I sat in his, in his you know, studio and read the scriptures and came up with these songs and it, it it all I'm saying is there is a gift given to us that gets can get nurtured by being in relationships with highly creative people and your podcast is a relationship with highly creative people 
And the Soul Series is a, is creates relationships with highly creative yep. people. And the next sort of blessing in that is, next thing I know, I've got tunes in my head. <laughs> you know, and I listened to that stuff. You sent me a link to it, mm-hmm. the, the video of it, and yeah. it, was, it was actually good. Uh, yeah, there, I, I really appreciated that opportunity. I think there is some osmosis where you put people together, and it's almost like that man's not so supposed to be a lone thing where. In community, we flourish, and creativity is hindered in fear. It's fostered in community. It's yes, and so the if the community is healthy, and I don't mean perfect. No, I don't mean I don't necessarily mean sort of moral and upright. I think if a community is healthy, is it's a community that has allows everybody there to have space. To, to be themselves mm-hmm. and as long as they're not dangerous right yeah. to, to be themselves and Paul's idea of of the church and the the amount of the gifts that are shared in the church and if you think about that uh, the idea that some are prophets some are pastors some are teachers administrators yeah. all that and then the spiritual gifts that are discussed when he's talking about the church in Corinth, for example, uh, if you go back and look at, uh, in Corinth, houses where there might have been a church gathering, there might have been mm-hmm. 40 people there. Yep. And the idea that all those gifts were present, we, we think of the Corinthians, there might have been thousands of people, and I bet yep. you it was just small houses, right? Yep. With, and those gifts were present. And so when a community of people gather, mm-hmm. the gifts are actually there. And if people have a sense that they're respected and trusted, then creative juices flow, yeah. flow, mm-hmm. and and joy, or or the 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 desire for healing can be stimulated in that in that setting. I mean, if you think about how weird it is, like for example, the old videos of those U two concerts, you know where. They'd be. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, mm-hmm. and and that whole con. It was the congregation. It becomes a congregational. It was a congregational worship. Worship, yeah. yeah. And it was because they had let go mm-hmm. of the 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 inner sort of who who am I relative to this person? I mean, I'm I'm an elder. I'm a leader. This person's not. I don't know that person. I don't trust that person. Uh, is that person one of us? All that sort of mental thing that goes on all the time, unless you just tell it to be quiet. Yeah, say so I want to live another way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that that uh, those U two concerts or Coldplay concerts can often be the same way. Just highly unitized sense of of joy being together and all that. I mean, we, it's easy to make light of that, but I think there's something to it. I think so too. All right, intern Nathan. You play the bassoon. Yep. Any words you want to add to us? No. No? We're good? Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.